Welcome to the Lulu Logic Podcast. I'm your host. I'm Nick Lewis. I know I had took a couple episodes off. I'll be taking a couple more off after this one. But I felt it was important to get this one in before I head back to Texas to go in my high school hall of fame and see my family for the first time since Christmas. Today's episode, man, it's a powerful one. Someone that I never thought I would be sitting across from and having a conversation with. That all changed at the beginning of this year when he invited me on his show. And now I've been on there a few times and I've gotten to know him over that time. And now I was blessed for him to join me on my show. And I can't wait for you to listen to this wonderful, powerful conversation. There's laughs, there's jokes. But then there's a lot of serious talk. In life, this is what we need to move forward. In life, we are challenged. We go through things. But you are rewarded when you come out on the other side. I hope you enjoy this episode. This is the Lulu Logic Podcast. Today's guest is from Millstone Milestone. Milestone. Milestone, Saskatchewan. He spent 20 years as the voice of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders on CKRM. Spent 17 years as the play-by-play broadcaster of the Western Hockey League. He has called four Grey Cups on national radio. And in 2012, the World Junior Hockey League Championships on Sportsnet Radio. He has been voted twice Canada's best blog of the year on his rodpeterson.com with over 25 million hits. In 2003, he entered the Saskatchewan Rural Sports Hall of Fame. Now he's the host of the Rod Peterson Show on Facebook and Game Networks and the Recovery Hour. Welcome to the show, Mr. Rod Peterson. It's awesome to hear from you, Nick. Thanks for having me. Man, thank you for coming on. I, you know, I, two years ago, I never thought this was being possible. I got to tell you, when you walked into the <laughs> studio and you said, when this is over, you're going to love me, I'm like, why would you think I don't already? <laughs> you can't. Yeah. <laughs> I like all that rivalry stuff to me is way, way over with, man. But uh, it certainly is not because we got to know each other. But I was like, yeah. I hope you're not hanging on to any stuff from back in the day because to me it was over when I left the stadium. You're pretty tough on people, Rod. I mean, you, you're, you're not one to mince your words when it comes to talking about uh, team, uh, players from other teams and, and things like that. You've, you've always been very open. Um, I thought your comments were very biased. <laughs> they were. <laughs> did you? Did they have to be biased because of you work for the riders or what? What was it? It became that way over time. But when it, I mean, I grew up here. You read the bio. Yeah. I grew up a rider fan, but I'd like to think a lot of it is just for show. You know, I don't run around picking on people on an average basis. A funny story. I did an interview with Wally Buono uh, last summer. And Christy, his daughter, said, these, these fans out here are all brainwashed to Saskatchewan. They're all brainwashed about the riders. I said, I know. I did the brainwashing. <laughs> you know? And, it, it, yeah, I mean, when the times were good with the riders, the times were good. And we were all a big family and with that organization. And it was us against you. And I don't yeah. think you liked your enemies very much either, did you? No. I mean, I was good. But I knew it was all about entertainment. 
But yeah. you know, sometimes when you see reporters and, and they write certain things and it's just like one of those, I don't know you, you know, and some guys take it personal. And when somebody writes something about me and they don't know me, it's one of those, well, why would they write this? Right. It's not, it's almost like some of the things are, could be taken personal because it's outside of the realm of the sport. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. But with me, I get things said about me too. I don't care because <laughs> I've had some pretty good mentors along the line that have said to me, do they know you? Are they going to be at your funeral? Then who cares what they say? And I've only gotten more and more and more down that road now as the recovery coach that I am in terms of what people say doesn't matter. Can you get up in the morning and look in the mirror? Are you okay with the guy in the mirror? Because really that's all that matters. And my whole thing, Nick, was to sell tickets in both stadiums and get listeners to my show and readers to my blog. That was the only thing. Even to this day, people turn on my show because they don't know what's going to come out of my mouth next. And that's because I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth next. And that there's a market for that, man. There is. You've re don't act like you didn't say things back <laughs> in the day. Let's be honest. Yeah, I would be like you on the field, I guess. Right. But it's funny that you bring up the funeral because I always heard uh, only 25% of the people will cry at your funeral and only 10% will go to the burial site if it's raining. <laughs> right. Yeah, what so, does it matter? What does why, it matter? Yeah. Why does it matter? Well, you've done a hell of a job when you look back at the, the bio, you know, was that 37 years broadcasting and, and being the voice of the Riders in the uh, Western Con Hockey not, League? Yeah, I'm not that old. Let's just rem let's remind people <laughs> I did that concurrently. Oh, you did that concurrently. Okay. Yeah, but I'm that's, 47 um, years old. But that's, um, that's really cool, man, that you had all that experience. Like, which one was more entertaining? The 20 years well, of the Riders or the 17 years in the Western Hockey League? They're both great. It's like ch picking between pizza and ice cream. Like, I grew up in hockey. My dad worked in the NHL for 26 years. Hockey's my mother tongue. And when I got hired to do the Riders, I'd never played football. I liked football, but I had to learn the sport. And I got into the CFL and realized these are really cool people, awesome people. And it's a great game, you know. And then I realized the concepts of sport. Sport is sport. My dad was yeah. a scout, Nick. So he taught me how to evaluate players. So I'm going to the training camp for the Riders. I could evaluate players based on his hockey concepts. Same thing working for football. I'd like, I think, to think that I learned the game well enough, you know, so people wouldn't know that I was the hockey guy. I mean, the football people don't. <laughs> My friends don't. But, Nick, you were in those games at McMahon Stadium. What was funner than Riders, Stampeders in McMahon? Or in Taylor Field. Yeah. Like, I was the hype guy. I was trying to sell out both stadiums. I didn't care what the Stamps thought. But it did go too far. I mean, you, not with me, but with the fans. Like, you saw a video, I'm sure, of, like, the cops being involved in those playoff yeah. games and stuff. And I'm like, listen, this is we're – we're talking WWF promo stuff here. Bobby the Brain Heenan. You know what I mean? Macho Man Randy Savage. That was always my thing. I guess if anybody was – You were trumping people. Right. If anybody took seriously what I said, then they misunderstood it. It was only for, I guess my point is it was only for show. And I think yeah. you came to realize that maybe it didn't, maybe it took until you came into the studio, but it was never meant to be personal at anybody. Although I know that I'm not well liked in Calgary by a lot of people. As a matter of fact, I've had friends sign there with the stamps and call me and go, they hate you in this building. Like they downright hate you. And I'm like, I thought we were just playing. I thought we were just fooling. 
because the other teams I didn't have that problem. It just always seemed to be Calgary. I don't know what that is because the fact is I love Calgary. I went to Mount Royal. I got tons of friends and family there. And I wouldn't ever rule out living there one day. But I think that's off the table now because I'd, you know, I'd be have my house would be firebombed if I lived in Calgary, I think. I had my run in with the Calgary media. You know, uh, me oh, and Eric Francis early in my career. I remember, um, I'm glad it's, it's not on video, but like I kind of chased him across the room and they had to grab me um, after a game. Uh, it's just because he was one of the guys that, and I'm good with Eric Francis now, but he never shows up unless something bad is going on. If the team's losing or if something's about to happen, you know something's going on if Eric Francis shows up to practice. Other than that, he might just comment on things that he hears, but when he's physically there after a practice or after a game, it's like, okay, something's about to happen. And um, I kind of went after him after one game, and it just happened to be that way. I didn't think you liked me because when I, I, first, came to, when I first came to the league, I, I had a mouth. I was mouthy. I was always running my mouth. I was loud. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you see what people write. I'm just like, man, this guy – he really doesn't like me. Are you surprised that players don't think you like them? If they were to read, if you go back and read some of the stuff that you wrote, would you be surprised that people might not think you like them? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all, but I couldn't even remember what it was. Like that day you and I had that conversation. I'm like, I literally don't even remember what I said. And you're like, man, my mom, I couldn't even show my mom. That's what you said. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm honest. Here's my thing. I'm just the radio guy. Who the hell am I? Why would you even care what I have to say? And this is how things changed, Nick, over the years in the league. Whereas the last few years, I don't want to say who it was, but I had a coach call me. It was a position coach with the Riders. And he's like, listen, would you mind not talking so much shit about Edmonton this week? You're making our jobs really hard. And I said, listen, you go coach the team. I'll promote the game. I'm in the business of selling the stadium out here. And it was yeah. in Edmonton. And I said, I'm only saying it because I believe in you guys. If I didn't believe it, I wouldn't be talking so much shit to these guys. But 20 years ago, Danny Barrett wouldn't care. You know, those guys back then, they wouldn't care. We were all together. We were all one. We were a unit. Yeah. And in the whole organization, ticket sellers, the mascot, the radio guys. I think you could see that where you were in Calgary. There's clickbait um, now. Right clickbait yeah. and there's a lot of setups and there's a lot of traps um that people fall into i mean you you got in one now with bo levi yeah and i mean that one's pretty that's pretty out there like there's been some shots taken how do you feel about that as you say i'm just a guy that tries to promote it and sell it out how do you feel about that? And can you preface what, how it started to people that might, not be in the, might be in the U.S. that don't know about it? I would try to sum it up in 60 seconds or less. I had never had any issue with Bo whatsoever, deeply respected him, only hated him because the riders couldn't beat him, right? You know how you don't like your rival for that reason. Yeah. And the thing is with Deron Carter and I are very close. And you might laugh, your listeners, viewers might laugh. I view myself as the white Deron Carter. Like I hated him <laughs> until he showed up in Saskatchewan. I said to Kevin Glant, why are we going to sign this guy? He's bad news. And KG's like, no, no, no. If you know him, you'd love him. And then I got to know Deron and I love Deron. I know exactly what he's thinking all the time. He's misunderstood. And I guess when it comes to Calgary friends, I'd like to say 
that I misunderstood. And if I was your guy, you'd probably love me. But anyways, it kind of ties into that week where Duran, you know, the fight in practice that <laughs> triggered him being cut momentarily. And then all of a sudden he goes from being cut to starting at corner that week. I'm still not totally sure how that happened, but Bo Chris Jones, right? Well, of course, but Bo starts yapping at Duran, and I would call it, frankly, Nick, I still call it bullying him, harassing him all week, baiting him. And I took offense on behalf of Duran. You know, I didn't think Duran was going to be as good a corner as he was in that game. Great athlete. So, and just a great person too. Yeah, yeah. I really believe that. He is. And yeah, so I was upset that you would be picking not you, but that Bo would be picking on Duran. So when Duran did pick him off and returned it to the house, it was just emotion bubbling out, and it was like, Bo, shut your mouth. You can see that now, and I also know that the next day on the Bo show, I know that Bo's a good enough guy. He literally said, "Good call, Rod." Like he didn't have a problem with it, but I think people just. In 2017, which is what that year was, now, Nick, when I got on the bus after the game, the players and coaches were playing the clip on their phones. They're like, wait to go, Rod. <laughs> they had the audio already, right? We're all high-fiving and stuff. And it was like they loved it. But then it took off in a life of its own. And I think Bo got sick of it. <laughs> Frankly, yeah. I just think he got sick of hearing about it everywhere he went. And you, like, that's old days, Nick. We used to fight back and forth rider stamps every day. Yeah. Now it's just from time to time it comes up and Bo's sick of it. And then I'll just lastly say this. When he went off social media, we were in Florida at a rider camp, and I heard that, and I was like, here was my take on that. I called him mentally weak, but I didn't really mean it. I was like, Bo shouldn't have to go off Twitter. He's good on Twitter. He, he's entertaining. He's good for the CFL. That was my point. He shouldn't have to go off because I thought he was going off because he was being harassed and abused. Yeah. And I – coach athletes now and how to deal with online hate and it's literally just mental strength and realizing doesn't matter what they think you don't even know who they are who cares right exactly they don't so no i said no so who cares and so i i think in the in my phrase something was he you know it's a shame that bo's mentally weak that he has to go off twitter and i didn't mean it the way it came off yeah and the and the headline on three down, Rod Peterson calls Bo Levi mentally weak. I'm like, oh God. I'm like, guys, what are you doing? I called them <laughs> and they actually amended the headline. But Nick, you say clickbait. By the time people see the headline, that's all they remember. hundred percent. That's, that's all they remember. That's the that's the thing that's hard because you deal with all this as an athlete, you get it from all over. And then, you know, fans are looking for material. Right, I remember being in uh, Saskatchewan, and I the fans start chanting Kyle Kohler Morgan. I don't know if you've ever heard the story, but Kyle Kohler Morgan, nobody knew who that was. And Burke Dells goes in and and Google's it, and I guess him Kyle Kohler Morgan and Sandro DeAngelis got in a fight in college, and he's an offensive lineman, and he beat the shit out of Sandro. And Sandro tries to press charges, but Osborne wouldn't let him, and all this other stuff happened. But I don't know how any of the fans figured this out, but their whole stands are, are chanting that when Sandro's getting ready to kick field goals. Drove him crazy. <laughs> Did it? Yes. I mean, if somebody kicked your ass and you've tried to sue them and they wouldn't let you at the university, I mean, it's, there's got to be some kind of mental 
psychology that goes on in your head and you know kickers absolutely are anyway of course but all these yeah. fans are looking for that little bit of ammunition i remember when me and tad cornegay tad texted me and said hey let's go back and forth with each other before a playoff game i think it might have been 09 um is one of those years we played is 07 or 09 and then yeah so we started going back and forth on twitter at each other and then somebody goes on my wikipedia and puts that i have aids right that's how escalated it gets because you could we're laughing wow. back and forth at with each other and then fans are jumping in and saying this and then calgary fans jump in and say this and we're like oh we're gonna get the spotlight tomorrow so <laughs> that's how it was but you know also it was at the beginning of twitter really back in 06 when we first got on there me and him were two of the first people that actually like utilize the platform but fans are looking for that ammunition and and you give it to them. I got to tell you, Nick, though, the thing is I called there was a, a junior hockey coach called the news conference a few years ago and asked the fans to lay off his players because it was affecting them mentally. And I called him after and I said, what are you doing? You are not going to change people. As a matter of fact, all you're doing is showing them they're getting to your kids. You need to treat, you need to teach your players how to deal with it. Yeah. And once, and I had to go through the whole psycho, psychology of doing that. So now when people are up in my face, it actually fuels me even more because I don't, like, I really don't care what you losers have to say. Right. And I'm like, you can't get enough of me. So I'm only <laughs> worse now than I was before. Cause I, it doesn't bother me, Nick. Cause and you talk about the AIDS thing and stuff. Yeah. It's, I would, that's horrible. Yeah. But the fact is, and I, this a lot of my recovery coaching businesses, what is the truth? If you know the truth, that is all that matters. Yeah. That's all that matters. You know, and if there's certain things out there about you, there's always going to be. So if they're true, address them, right? Fix yourself. That's it. And if people are just talking noise about you and it's wrong because to hurt you or discredit you, um, don't let them or don't let it bother you. But I find you're kind of in a different light now, now that you're on a more national stage. Right. I find that you like a lot of people, like a lot of players always talk about how great you are, how great your show is, the Rod Peterson show. And I have players that I talk to on like, hey, man, you do a great job on there. And Rod does a great job. And has it, has it been different now that you have a national show and it's not just catered to Saskatchewan, that now you're starting to get more love from players? Yeah, well, it, it, it's not by design, Nick. Here's what happened. We would do, way back when we started, 311 episodes ago, we'd bring on Stevie Bags, for instance, and all of a sudden people in Winnipeg and Edmonton and Calgary and Hamilton were picking up because we can see the numbers spike in those cities. And it's like, or we'd bring on John Chick and realize, hey, they're watching in Hamilton and they care in Edmonton, right? We never thought about that. We are bringing them on as Ryder alum and realized these guys that had played on other teams resonate in all those markets. And Kevin Glenn announced his retirement on our show on his 40th birthday. That, that resonated in nine markets. At, right? at, at the high school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that just, it just happened. We didn't plan it. And then the other thing with, with the players, we're bringing on guys now that I've never met. And I'd like to say become good friends with, like Mika Alway watches every day. I've become a huge fan of Aaron Grimes and Brian Burnham. And what we realize, Nick, is the players, they just want to 
grow their followers and grow their brand. They don't care who I am. It's like I'm sitting here thinking they love me. It's, but they know that I'm going to give them a safe place to come and tell their story. I'm not going to attack them. You know that. Yep. And they've realized that it's a safe thing. And the other thing is there's not a lot of coverage in the CFL in Canada. Let's just say it the way it is. 100%. You know, because I'm hearing from coaches from every team that are saying, man, you are shaking up this country with this show. And I'm like, I'd love to say I planned it, but I didn't. We're just sitting here talking about the league that we love every day and nobody else is. Yeah. That, that's, how that, that's how that happened. And then all of a sudden players were like jumping all over each other trying to get on the show. You know, you got Sir Vincent Rogers saying, you haven't made it till you've been on the Rod Peterson show. I'm like, I've never even met you. Other than being at a uh, Athletes in Action event, I'll be honest with you, those AIA events, those Christian breakfasts every Saturday, Grey Cup weekend, I've connected with so many players through that. It's great to Never, yeah, never thinking that I would be in a position where that would come back, where Cody Fajardo, I knew everything about him because he spoke at the Grey Cup in Ottawa, I guess, or I think it was Ottawa. Do you know what I mean? Like you just, yep. just being a CFL guy and being around, it's all kind of come back. And I would like to think being a good guy. I mean, that Bo stuff, I don't hate Bo. I think it's funny. I actually <laughs> wish it was over with. And I think he would too. I've suggested, can we meet in Medicine Hat and like literally bury a hatchet, have a ceremony? You know, I don't, but I don't think he wants to. And Charleston was just on last week and he's like, this is great for the CFL. Nick, we, this used to happen every day. It did. The only reason it's so big now is that it's, there, there is no personality in the league anymore. They don't, the teams in the league don't want it. I don't yeah. know why. Yeah, very unfortunate. It's very unfortunate. But, you know, I've always appreciated you for the platform you've given me to come on your show uh, as many times as I've been on there. And I'm always thankful of that. And like I said, when, or like you said earlier, when I came on the show, I was like, you're going to light me by the end of this. <laughs> because a lot of rider, a lot of rider fans, they're like, man, I don't want to like Nick Lewis, right? Because I said, I think if I have my best games here. Yeah, I know you killed us. I get it. But the thing is, I didn't like Giroy till I got to know him. I didn't like Anthony Calvillo till I got to know him because we couldn't beat him. At that, I think that's just human nature. Yeah. Right. You understand that, you know? And I, Bo, same thing. It was a respectful jealousy or rivalry i guess but i just can't believe the amount the rider fans you always win the rock star of the day and i i just think it's kind of funny because i wasn't the only one that didn't like nick lewis as a player and i i i actually it hurts my heart to know that you took it personally because it was never personal how could i say anything about you i didn't know you you know but and these fans now that it's you realize once you've retired a lot of that stuff melts away right oh like, yeah Oh yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't think I ever took it personal. I think when I see it, it kind of motivated me because it's like a lot of the stuff doesn't have to do with actually football, right? And then some of the things for me was like I remember when Clark first reached out, "Hey, can you come on the Rod <laughs> Peterson show?" And I was like, "Well, you know, I'm, I'm re really I was super busy those 14 hour days. I was like, I just can't come on during that time because one in BC at 10 o'clock we're in meetings from eight, eight o'clock and then we go into practice. So I was literally in practice and meetings during that time every day. So it just didn't work out, but I was like, I'm surprised Rod wants me on his show. I was really <laughs> surprised. Then when I was here, it was like, Hey, can you come in? And I was like, okay, yeah, I'll come in. And, but it's been great. Like getting to know you has been great. 
because now I actually know the person. It's not just words because I don't think I've ever knew you before then. No, not at all. I just had heard stories of you working out in town. I tell you, you know what this town's like. You've lived here long enough. People are texting me, calling me. Hey, Nick Lewis is working out at Gold's. The writers must be signing him. I'm like, no, he's living here. I I knew everything about what was going on with you. But it told me back then that the Ryder fans, even though you were living here in the offseason playing for Calgary, correct? Or for sure Montreal. For Montreal. Right. And I, I sold was my like, house in Texas in 2015. So, yeah. Okay. But the fans were like, we'd take Nick if he was available. So I'm like, oh, well, you don't hate him that much then. You just hate him when he's in red and white. So, but I know Ryder fans well enough to know that's their deal. Yeah. Right. NHL bubble. What do you think? I love it. Is it better hockey? It's the same hockey. Uh, really? I swear. Yeah. I mean, I, when I watch it, I don't even see the crowd. Have you watched any high school or college football games in the last week since they started up? Uh, I've seen uh, Central Arkansas, some of their game. But right. Small crowd, yeah. right? Did you Small even crowd. notice? No. <laughs> no. You don't. You don't. No. I think the NBA bubble has been better basketball. I think the quality has been better because you take out the travel and there's really no home court. So you got to you know, manufacture your own energy and everything yeah. else going into it. I think that's one of the reasons the Raptors are struggling. They don't have that home court advantage being in Toronto with those fans that are courtside and just crazy, right? So, well, it's big. For, it's big for the Raptors. But the other thing I've learned in this pandemic, Nick, and I think you have too. You seem to have a fondness for the media, just like for the business, just like Tori Gurley does. Like Tori and I sit and talk about the media all day. Like, that's what he wants to be as his next career. Actually, it is his career now. And the pundits don't know anything. Have you realized that? You probably knew that a long time ago. Yep. But they were <laughs> right. But they were saying, even the former players were saying, oh, there's going to be injuries, especially for the older guys. They're going to be, they've been off for four months or whatever. So they're going to fire up and there's going to be lots of muscle pulls and stuff. There's been none. None. How many guys have missed games? No stars, really. Well, Kyle Lowry, but that was not a muscle pull. That could have happened in any. his ankle, yeah. Yeah. So, I, I, like, I enjoy the coverage, but it's like people don't know. <laughs> Pundits don't know what they're talking about. And we've learned it even more, I feel, in the last six months. So, I watch the games and I enjoy the games, and I don't see any difference in the games. And I just think if you think the games have changed, you're not a fan of the game. You're a fan of the show. There's but, I mean, the quality of hockey. You think the quality of hockey is better? No, it's the same. Same. It's the same. I've talked to the players, and they said the only difference to them is when they score a goal, they're used to that. Yeah. And it's like scoring in practice or, like, for you, scoring a touchdown in practice. That's the only difference. Brad Hart, have you crossed uh, paths with him in your time in Calgary? You must Yes. Have. Yep. He never he, – he clued me in on this years ago because he used to do the loop of the Stampede Wrestling, and they would do a show in Regina called The Auditorium. It's a dump. It doesn't even exist anymore. I said, what's it like going from the Regina Auditorium to Madison Square Garden in WrestleMania? And he goes, Rod, I don't even look past the first row. It makes no difference to me. And I'm like, I never forgot that. Yeah, he's so focused on what he, what he does. And me calling games is the same. And I don't – I mean, how much time did you spend looking up in the crowd? I tell you, when the ball was snapped, you weren't. You'd have been no. killed. I didn't even hear the crowd. It was almost like by the time the ball snapped – everything goes silent and then it's just your body reacting 
right? If you're thinking you're late. So, and don't you, know, you think that would be the same in the bubble that these guys are going through the exact same thing? That's what I think. But I think the competition in the, in the game has actually been better in the bubble, right? You're not seeing a lot of blowouts, which, you know, in the no. NBA, you, you get a lot of blowouts. Like very rarely do you get a lot of teams winning under 10 points. All these games are coming down to the fourth quarter, the last five minutes, both teams have a chance to win the game, right? And I don't think you get that outside the bubble when you, when you bring in home court advantage and when you bring in traveling and when you bring in all the outside world with going out and partying and doing everything like that. But now you're just there focused, right? Jimmy was Butler a, didn't even want his family to come in the bubble, right? Well, but every player is different too, right? But no. Grey Cup here in 2013, Darian told his family to stay in – South Carolina. He didn't want them here. Different guys deal with it differently, right? But there was a stat the NHL put out here in the playoffs. Something like 35% of the games had the game-tying or game-winning goal scored in the last 90 seconds. Wow. That tells you how close the games are. They're so it's the all, they've same. Been they've been exciting. So, so I don't know if the guys are more focused or I don't know what it is. So is that – let me say this. It's been at least as good and maybe better. Maybe said. we just missed it so much that now that it's back, <laughs> it's like, yes. Well, yes. Well, that's that's funny because the the Blue Jays were playing the other day, and I'm like, I should probably watch this, you know, just because it's the Blue Jays. And I'm, then I got turned on ESPN, and they've got Trinity Christian School playing against, you probably know, Knox Catholic School, Texas High School. Yep. In Knoxville High School. I'm like, I'd rather watch this. This is so good. And they flew in the lead ESPN crew to broadcast the game. I was saying on my show the other day, that would be like Chris Cuthbert and Glenn Suter coming in to do Lavoldus Campbell. You know, I, like it, all the bells and whistles. And yeah. I, I loved it so much. But I guess it might have been because I missed it. I don't know. It just, it's, it's, it's tough for the CFL, Nick, because all these other leagues are playing from, again, from high school to the pros. And they're not. And that really scares the hell out of me from a CFL perspective. Do you think the NFL is going to play a complete season? you think they'll make it through? I do, but it's no funny. I know. I heard this this morning. Like There was predictions that not every team will play a full schedule, right? And I'm like, wow, I couldn't imagine. But you know yourself, there is literal lineup of players. These CFL players opting out, they're not afraid of coronavirus. Like if the NFL has their way, if they lose 40 guys, they'll sign 40 guys. Yeah. Like, that's what I that's why I think they will play there's a just there's more of a supply of football players than any other sport major league baseball when's the last time you heard of an outbreak something happened there yeah because the first week it was calamitous who's that the Marlins and they just, I believe yeah the Marlins the Reds the Phillies they've locked it down so the NFL has the resources to pull this off so but they're not I'm in the say, bubble yeah. though neither is baseball but isn't baseball, like, isolated to two locations? No, they're all playing in their own park. The only team not playing in their own park is the Blue Jays. Really? And they're playing in Buffalo. The rest is the – baseball is exactly the same as what the NFL is going to do. And I just think if there's an outbreak – I think they're keeping Tom Brady in bubble wrap and the Stars, Mahomes. I think Seattle's in a bubble, though. They're saying if you're going to play, you're going to come to this bubble. They this are. Hotel. They are. That's this, yeah, because one player got cut for bringing sneaking a girl in. Yeah. Right. So, but that's not. <laughs> but it's not as it's not as stringent 
as the NHL or NBA. Yeah. I've heard stories of, of scouts that have gone to different camps, personnel people, and there's like five different levels of security. And if you're a traveling person going from camp to camp to camp, you're number five. If you work for the team and you're there every day, you're a number one. And on the badge, if you get within six feet, it beeps. Like they, they are still locking it down. Nick, there's just too much to lose in the NFL. They're not doing, they're not going to do it loosey goosey. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. And, in you know, the Pro Bowl, I think, is in Vegas this year. That's that right. Well, it was are supposed to, it was, it was. I lost you for a second. It was supposed to be. Yeah, we'll do a show there. I feel so, I feel bad for people on me. So you're still there? Yep. The Raiders, I feel bad for them because they can't have a fan in their place. Nevada state laws. But it's good for the Golden Knights because, believe <laughs> me, they're, they're very worried about the Raiders and what they're going to do. Um, but the, I can't think they're going to have a Pro Bowl. There's, I mean, maybe. But I, things got to change between now and February, that's for sure. Yeah. It'll be fun to, to get into and just see how everything goes. And it's just good to have sports back on TV. It's good for your mental health. You have any hockey predictions? You know, you're a hockey guy. Do you have any hockey? Who's going to be in the Stanley Cup and who's going to win it? Well, Vegas uh, is my team. And, you know, there's a bit of a story behind that. But it's nice to jump on with a winning team. Me. <laughs> um, they flew me down there in February to take in some games, put me up at the team hotel, rolled out the red carpet. It was, it was awesome. You'd be a fan of any team after that happened, you know? Yeah. So it's not a crappy team. So I, I, I picked Vegas going into the cup. And actually an NHL simulation, EA Sports simulation, had a Vegas-Boston Stanley Cup. Boston winning in six. Boston's now out. So I'll go with the team that beat him, Tampa. I'll say a Tampa-Vegas Stanley Cup final. A Sunbelt final, Nevada-Florida. <laughs> That'd be a fun one. Yeah. That would be I'll be really watching. Fun. I know that. I'll be watching. Is is Florida in um, – is that team in uh, Toronto right now? Yeah. The Eastern teams are in Toronto, Toronto. the Western team. Yeah, okay. Western in, in, uh, Colorado, in Edmonton. But once they get to the conference finals in the Stanley Cup, everybody's going to be in Edmonton. I guess they feel Edmonton's the safest place in the world. Yeah. So growing up, what fascinated you the most about sports? Uh, well, I learned to skate in a dugout. You've lived in Canada long enough to know that's the most Canadian kid's story, right? With two older brothers. Um, but, like, I love playing the game, but I loved as much, Nick, I loved the media side of it and the play-by-play. -play. Like, from grade one on, I wanted to be a play-by-play -play guy. So, nobody knows this and fewer care, but I was in camp with the Brandon Weekings at 16 as a goalie. And Trevor Kidd, you might remember me as a Flames goalie. We're the same age. We're in camp together. And they were interviewing him, the media. And I was walking by him. I'm like, I'd like to be the guy doing the interview, not the guy standing here. I know that sounds completely out of – because nobody is like that. But that was me. I just had a fascination with the media. So with my dad working in the NHL for 26 years, I was always around the coaches. I played enough to know the game. And that's kind of what I think sets me apart from the rest of the media is a lot of the media don't know what the coaches are thinking. They yeah. don't know what the players are thinking. I can always provide that. I think that's what set me aside. So I love the sport, but I, I wanted to be writing about it. I wanted to be talking about it just as much. Hey, my brothers couldn't figure it out either. I mean, they were all junior hockey players and they thought I was just this nerd that 
love the media side of it. But Natea J was on our show last week. He's got a podcast now, right? The All Ball mm -hmm. Podcast. He's like, Rod, if I'd known it was so much fun, I would have got into the media way before. And I'm like, it is don't fun. tell anybody. It is? Yes. It is I've fun. wanted to do it since I'm 47 years old, Nick. I've been doing it since I was 16. 31 years I've been earning a paycheck doing this. Is there, so, is there a specific person that you watched uh, when you were in the first grade and just said, I want to be like that, or that guy really inspired me to want to do the play-by-play -play and the broadcasting? Yeah, there was the, the Pats guy here in town, Kevin Gallant, who some of your Calgary viewers will remember him because he was the voice of the Stampeders when they won the Grey Cup in 92. I grew up listening to him. All the Hockey Night in Canada guys, those were my guys. And then, frankly, when, getting, when I got into football, Pat Summerall, John Madden, like <laughs> just those guys, just to captivate the game and be in the thrill of the moment. Um, those, those are some of the guys. Yeah, but I mean, I always wanted to craft my own style too. Just like, I don't think you wanted to be like any specific player. You wanted to be your own guy. Yep. I always wanted to be my own guy. Same thing. I, don't, I never want anybody to say he's copying that person. Like you talk about my show, people in Eastern Canada that didn't know who I was. Like you said, nobody knew me outside Saskatchewan. True story. There's people in Ontario going, who is this idiot yapping? Is he trying to be like Don Cherry? Does he think he's Don Cherry? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm, I'm me. I'm just being me. Yeah. And the people in Saskatchewan know that's me. I'm not trying to be like anything. You know, so, yeah, I'm trying to carve out my own path. When you say crafting, can you speak a little bit about how that works? Like, do you sit at home and do you work on your voice? Or is there certain words you try to hit? Like, how do you really craft to be a great play-by-play -play and, and, and then, you know, build your own road in it? I think, uh, I think a lot of it you're born with. But I'll tell you, Mount Royal is the best broadcasting program in Canada, if not North America. And they literally taught me how to speak and enunciate and all that. I almost let something slip there, but I, <laughs> ex, <laughs> I'll tell you after. But it's just, you know that with players in the States, they get into the media, ESPN has a boot camp. Yeah. You've probably heard about it. And it's like a couple of weeks long and they put guys, like there's drills they, for speaking, Nick. You know, so here's a good one. At Mount Royal in Calgary, they made me get up and stand in front of the class, every student, and talk until you said, uh. uh and the second you said, uh, you had to sit down. Wow. Most people couldn't get over 20 seconds. Like, it's a, it's a drill. It's hard. Like, you have <laughs> to really focus on it. And sometimes, I, I noticed even back when I first started, there was a lot, and then a lot of editing on that. But then it's kind of, you make your way out of it. But you, well, it's, and it, I, you, you have a mental, yeah. you mentally think about what you're saying and you don't just have those dead spaces. Well, and so uh, here's a funny one for you. Did you play with Luke Mulliner in Montreal or did you miss each no, other? No, 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 no. But, was, but uh, you know, yeah, yeah, I know Luke. You know him well enough. Yeah. So when he came into the booth doing color with me and he was on my show a couple times a week, I would sit down and listen to tape with him, just like you would with a receiver as a coach. And I'm like, Luke, listen to this 26-second clip and tell me if you hear anything in there. He's like, no, I don't. What about it? I said, you said you know what I mean six times in 26 seconds. <laughs> Let's go back and listen to it again. He never said it again. And then, you know, he was doing interviews for the Ryder website, and he had his holding his mic like this. He was interviewing the guy like this, and he was turning his body, right? And I said, Luke, hold it in this hand and just go like this. 
just open up. You're not turning you right. Yeah. And he's like, Oh, so we went to Montreal and I missed him for a morning. He was gone. We weren't able to go for breakfast. He was gone. I, I said to him, What are you doing? And so I met with this talent coach, this broadcasting coach out here that Pfizer set me up with, and I paid him, you know, a bunch of hundred dollars to do this. I'm like, to teach me how to broadcast. I'm like, what do you think I've been doing for the last year for free? So, so people think that you just crack the mic comes on and you talk. It's not all that. No. I mean, there's a little bit to do with having some ability. And being on the other side of the mic is totally different speaking. Right? Being in the chair where you're just answering and you're doing that is more of a freedom but being on this side is more of a structure, right? Oh, huge freedom, huge freedom. I mean, an another guy, I mean, who knows where your career is going to go in this? It's, I think it's the sky, this is the limit for whatever you want to do. But Tori Gurley, who I didn't even know, he was engaged to a girl from Regina. That's the only reason he called me. And he goes, I got an opportunity here to do color for the South Carolina Gamecocks, but they gave me a list of 25 things I can and can't do, Rod. It's just like being a player. You know, if I take this job and I said, well, I wouldn't want to do it. And he goes, well, I didn't like doing it when I was a player. I don't want to do it as a broadcaster. And I said, well, then I think you have your answer, Tori. And he's now doing NFL, CFL, NCAA, all kinds of coverage. And he's his own business because he has that freedom. Right. You, however you want to say it to sort of work for yourself and have the freedom to sit in that chair is it's the best feeling in the world. And that's why my own family can't get around their head around. They're like, why aren't you pursuing this play-by-play -play job? Why aren't you doing this? I'm like, I don't want to do it anymore because it's changed. The teams want to control every single thing you say. Yes. And it's, it's, it's at a point where I don't mind curating it to get the team's message out. But if you outright tell me to lie for you, I'm not going to do it because this isn't fun anymore. Yep. So if so, I mean, I don't plan to ever call a game again, and I'm okay with it. My family's really struggling with it. You know what your family's like when you retired? It's the same thing. Yep. You know they loved watching you. You know, but you should be allowed to move on to your next thing. You know. And it's hard because there's so much information that you want to keep in house. Like now, you go somebody sprains an ankle. Two seconds later, it's on Twitter. So and so just sprained their ankle. They're getting it looked at, or so and so is getting going in, and maybe their day is done, or somebody just went into the locker room, and everything's on Twitter. And as a coach, you have people just looking at Twitter. I come in, check Twitter, see what's happening through the league of the team we're playing against, and because that's all you need to know. If okay, this guy's got a hurt ankle. Now we can attack him, or we can double move him, or. There's so many advantages to that, but your job as the media is to get it out, but your job yeah. as a team is to keep it in. <laughs> right. <laughs> and imagine being that, that was the vice of being here, Nick, you like Lance Fraser played for both the Cowboys and the Riders. And he yep. said, there's like no difference in terms of the rabid nature. They can't get enough information here. So as the play-by-play -play guy, I was in that vice every day of the fans couldn't get enough info and the team didn't want any out. Who do you please? Inevitably, you're going to tick somebody off. Yep. So I think in my next job, because I am talking to some teams, honestly, this is what I would like. If you wanted to just bring me in on game day and call the game, but like I don't want to go to practice and I don't want to talk to the team. I don't want to even be around the team. I'll come in and call the game, but I don't want to report on the sprained ankle. I don't want to report who's the starting secondary. Right? I just want to call the game. 
but there's not a lot of jobs. There's not a lot of jobs like that out there. Usually you're at practice every day, all day, you know, or, you know, or you're in trouble. <laughs> you got to have some you know? insight. You got to have some insight on what's going on, who the players are. I think that's, that's where it comes to separate you. And, you know, I've seen, I remember Chris Collinsworth watching him and, and seeing his preparation and how he spends like six to eight hours a day preparing where this player went to school, what's his stats, how he did last year versus his team, looking at film versus his team. And he totally immerses himself in the game that he's calling that week to find out as much about all the players as he can. You know, that's – anybody can find out what the guy's school he went to or what his yep. stats were, that kind of thing. The problem that I found here was I had an incident in a game where my color guy said the rider cover men were brain dead because they were tackling the punt returner in the end zone. Said it on the air. They're brain dead. Mm. And the next day I woke up and I had a text message from the special teams coordinator going, can you tell your color guy why we tell him to tackle him in the end zone? We don't mind giving up the point because we, we want to surround the guy. Right. And we'll give up the yardage. We don't care that this is what we don't want to give him the opportunity to return. I said, why don't you text him? Here's his number. Why are you going through me? You know what I mean? But I was always the guy, Nick, that had every coach's number. I had the player's number. I have always had a relationship with the players and coaches, and the team didn't like that. So my thing was I only know one way how to do things, and that's to have relationships with the guys. I thought that's what we were doing here. Building relationships. And the business has changed to where they want it cut. You know, and so who knows where my next gig will be play-by-play. Play. I, I don't plan on – doing it but it would have to come with some conditions and yeah, I wouldn't want to be around every day because there's just too much information that could get out in the digital world it's it's a different world than when I started would you go back to some of those hockey leagues or and things like that or are you only looking for football play-by-play -play? oh it I'm open to anything but the one thing that my wife and I have agreed on if I, we're moving anywhere it's south it's Vegas. not east or west <laughs> well wherever somewhere warm yeah yeah i understand that so what happens to the show if that happens well i guess i don't <laughs> well again hey you can do it from about, anywhere talking about intel you can do it from um, anywhere well dupont's he's on that he's like i guess we're moving the show if you get this <laughs> so i mean you talk about the national ver uh concept of our show we're on in over a million homes in Canada and the United States, Nick. Like you and I have never really talked about this, but I'm getting emails from viewers in Texas, Oregon, South Carolina that, awesome. yeah, well, they're getting, they love CFL. They love pro football, right? So they love what we're talking about. And it's a change from what Jerry's doing today or what Dak's doing today. It does wear people out. Like I got football friends in Texas that are like, if I never hear Johnny Manziel's name again ever, <laughs> I'm good, right? Because they have a tendency to just beat the dead horse. Yep. And our, we always keep it fresh, keep it moving. You know, that's one thing I think you've noticed. So I like, so yeah, we could move the show if I took a job, but I'm not actively looking for a job that way either. Like I say, I'm talking to some teams, but nobody's really doing much right now. Yeah. Well, I've been always open about my drinking and my career. And, you know, I have quite the reputation uh, around the other guys of being one of the best, I'll say the best drinkers that there was. 
the be- like Bret Hart. The best there was, the best there is, the best there ever will be. Ever will be. (laughs) But you had some issues as well. Can you talk about your issues and and some of the struggles you had? It's funny you say that because I'm certainly more than open to talk about it, but I hate talking about it in terms of bringing up the memories. And I got asked today to do an intervention on somebody. And I'll probably do it. But I just, it took me back to when I was the focus of an intervention. And you talk about the lowest point of somebody's life where they say, Rod, you got two choices. Door A, you're getting help with your drinking. Or door B, don't, but you're losing your job. And when you get home, your family is going to be gone. That's where mine was. And I was mm-hmm. a guy that couldn't, I couldn't draw the line. There was no line. You know, I don't even know where to start. I, I, I mean, I do do a lot of presentations on it, but I, again, I'll wrap it up in 60 seconds or less. From the time I was six, seven, eight years old, Nick, I was having suicidal thoughts. And growing up on a farm, we had a handgun, 22 caliber rifle, shotgun. I'm sitting there thinking in grade two, what one will do the job the best? I wasn't even drinking then. Yeah. Right. And having nightmares that somebody was coming to kill me. So when I got into high school, my mom took me to the doctor and he couldn't help. He had no idea. Anxiety, generalized anxiety wasn't even a thing then. Yep. And then once I discovered alcohol, it was like no looking back because it shut my brain off. I drank the blackout the second time I ever drank. This is a magic tonic. I could talk to people. I was tougher. I was better looking. It was the great, everything I was looking for. Man. But it, yeah, and that became a 25-year, began a career of love-hate with alcohol. I loved what it, how it made me feel. I hated what it did to my life because I became a different person. I became a monster. And for years, people were telling me, you need to look at your drinking. You need to stop. You need to do this. You need to do that. And my dad was recovering alcoholic. He quit drinking after his third 08. Like flipping a light switch, he just stopped. Never drank again. And I thought I was into my mid thirties when I thought now it's time to stop. Yeah. I'll just do like dad did. And I, I literally couldn't stop. I could go maybe three, four days without drinking. And I would find myself standing in the liquor store. I'm like, how did I get here? You know what I mean? Like you're just, your body's on autopilot. And, and then I gave up on myself because I thought I couldn't stop. I'm not as strong as my dad. I can't stop. And then it got way worse. Was it just the amount of drinking that you were doing? Was that the hard part? Oh, I mean, did you have a heavy tolerance or was it just, Oh yeah. Yeah. I I showed up like a month before my rock bottom. I'm in my doctor's office going, I think I'm, I got depression because I I don't have any joy in my life. I can't coach myself out of this funk that I'm in. And he's like, how much do you drink? I said, I don't know. On average 20 beer at a sitting, sometimes more, sometimes a little less, maybe 20. He gave me an antidepressant, Nick. He's like, this will make you feel better. (laughs) It didn't, address any of the problems that I'd created myself. So after I faced that intervention and ended up in a addiction counselor's office, I, he goes, I have, he asked me all these questions. How much do you drink? And I told him, he goes, you're a late stage alcoholic. I said, what are you talking about? I'm 42 years old, man. I'm in the gym an hour at least every day. And he goes, you're going to be dead in a year. Wow. That hit home. But my thing was, I was up, you know, I wasn't drinking every day. It was just when I did go out, I couldn't stop. I remember we're doing a rider event in Vegas, uh, Phoenix, actually. And Ray Elgard was there. And he came down by the pool one day after a party the night before. And I'd quit drinking by then. And he's like, 
Rod, I never saw you have a problem. I never saw, like, why did you have to quit drinking, man? Like, it's too bad that you, you couldn't come out and have fun with us. I said, Ray, you always left at midnight. You weren't there at two in the morning when I was in the corner, pissing myself, passed out. Everybody's wow. laughing at me. Mm. You know, you, you didn't see that, Ray. Ask my wife, ask my kids, ask my brothers. Like that was going on my whole life. And it was just, it was just a way of thinking. Like my wife's like, you're the vice of the riders. You can't be getting in fights in the parking lot. You can't be pissing in the corner of this restaurant. And I'm like, I don't get paid enough to worry about that. I don't, I don't care. And I was, she, was, she was right, I was wrong. But I always had this chip on my shoulder my whole life for whatever reason, I wasn't grateful for anything. And all that changed when I got into recovery. And you know, I had the, you know, I had the job with the flames. Yep. We agreed to it. And Ken King shook my hand and said, welcome to the NHL. I want you to retire here. That was the summer of 2014. And he was fly home. We'll send you the contract. And I never heard from him again. I found out in the meantime, somebody got a hold of, somebody found out this deal was happening and told Ken King, you can't hire him. He's an alcoholic. It'll be the worst thing you ever do. Wow. That kicked me into drinking every day. Uh, like an alcoholic's mind thinks, you think I drink too much now? Watch. Watch. Because you don't really value yourself. Like I, I have so many similarities. Like you talk about at a young age, having those suicidal thoughts and, you know, just going through the process of my own shortcomings of, of everything, right? Everything that I've ever done it was almost like you just have this weight on your shoulders. And for me, it was the buildup of football. Football gave me only, – only way you will like me is if I'm a great athlete. So I played the game as if my life depended on it. And if we lost the game, then after the game, I was a wreck. If we won the game, I was on an emotional high. And I just used alcohol to cope with everything, right? I was going to drink if I was happy. I was going to drink if I was sad. And there were times where it was just like, we got we to gotta drink. We just got to drink. We got to drink. And well, when you talk about your motivation, do you know how many high-level athletes, even Hall of Fame caliber, which you're one, OCD is in their background? Very like OCD. George St. Pierre. Clint Malarchuk, who you may know, the cowboy goalie, all these guys were obsessed, obsessive compulsive disorder, which I have with perfectionism, right? That a lot of guys were driven to greatness by OCD. Yep. So, so I kind of look at it as going, you know, I was, I was sober four or five months when I realized I got a lot of things going on in my head that have nothing to do with alcohol. I'm sober now and I'm still screwed up. So I went and got an assessment and I had, anxiety, generalized anxiety disorder, depression, OCD, ADD, and addiction. Those are all severe mental illnesses, Nick, i.e. they never go away. Yep. They never go away. So to stand here today and talk about it and to actually be alive, because I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be. I'm just, I, that's why I carry the message. Because I'm like, there's a reason I'm here. I shouldn't be. It's when to help people. When you'd come down, did you have those moments of like, I got to stop this? Or was it just ongoing? <clears throat> I just gave a speech in Winnipeg the other day virtually talking about this. Because I traveled all the time. You yeah. saw hockey in the winter, uh, football in the summer. I was gone all the time. Um, I would wake up on a park bench in Bradenton, Florida. Wallet gone, phone gone. Not knowing how I got there. Or a strange house in Spokane. 
or a hotel bathroom floor in Montreal after a blackout. And I would go, what happened to that innocent kid that everybody loved? You're a wreck. And uh, that would be in one voice. And then my other uh, ear, a voice would be saying, he's dead. He's gone. He's never coming back. And I would just bawl, just cry. Like, it's, you're hopeless. You're done. So every, every time the next morning, yeah, I always said I got to quit. But it's the disease that pulls you back Yep, all you, the time. Do you find freedom now in talking about it and, and going through everything to being able to be open with people? Because that's why I think I talk about it so much is that I find freedom in now releasing it to the world that nobody can ever hold it over my head. Um, I know what I went through was a part of it. I made it through. You know, one thing that we are as survivors, right? We, we, we have survived some of the hardest things, right? COVID to you is probably it's nothing. nothing compared to what some people go through because they haven't went through what you've gone through. So do you find this freeing for you? Well, every single day I do, but I'm tremendously impressed by your story that you would talk about it because Corey Sheets has been very open of, of his struggles. And a lot of it had to do, Nick, with his personality being tied to football when he retired. He was empty. Who am I yeah. without football? He ended up in a mental institute institution. And I don't mind telling you because he told me that in an interview. Just talking about it is the biggest thing to get it off your chest. Yeah. And the only reason I do it in front of large groups is it might help somebody in the room, you know, um, but I was coming home from an event with Matthew Barnaby last fall, you know, the hockey fighter, yep. you know, the name at big, yep. big name. And we were driving from Carlisle to Regina in the middle of the night. And we pulled around a cop RCMP that had somebody pulled over on the side of the road. And of course I'm sober as a judge and Barney's in the back seat. And he goes, that must never get old. I'm like, it never, ever, ever gets old to not have to worry about that. You know, so the freedom of, of that, the freedom to be clear headed. And there are people that will never forgive me for things that I did drinking. I can't do anything about that. Yeah. Just every single day I get up to win the day, help people. I can't change the past. None of us can. No. You know, and if, and if people don't want to acknowledge the change in me, that's their deal. I can tell you who's happy. Again, those people you care about, people under your own roof, obviously the people I work with, my friends. <laughs> I have had one friend, Derek Myers, comes on my show quite a bit. Yep. He goes, we all feel a lot. Our lives all got better when you quit drinking. And I'm like, I totally get it. <laughs> I guess when you, when you nicker at a spot where your friends don't even want to be around you and your family's had enough of you, it's the loneliest, worst part of your life, and you don't think you can get out of it. This is pre-intervention. It's yeah. the loneliest place in the world. So when I help other people that are there now, it helps you too. And nobody really understands, why are you helping me for nothing? What do you want in return? I don't want anything. It's you know, and you that's, on that straight line. Yeah, and going public has kept me accountable. Yeah. You know? And the other thing with recovery coaching, like I do now with athletes, entertainers, public people, it's different for a public person. You know yourself, you can't go anywhere in Regina. People know who you are. Yep. That's a lot to live with. And when you're going into a bar and you're a partier and everybody knows you're the life of the party, you need to live up to that. Flip it to you're in recovery. You walk into a bar to do a show, host a sports banquet or something. Everybody there knows you're not supposed to be drinking. 
Like all the eyes are on you. It's a lot. And the average person that doesn't live with that, they just have no idea what it is. So that's why I went, I've gone pretty far, pretty quick in the recovery industry, dealing with public people. Because unless you've lived it, you don't, you would never know how to deal with it. It's very hard. It's a, it's a, and for me, I've never really had an addictive personality. Like I didn't, I didn't really love football. I just loved competing. And it gave me a chance to compete against the best in the world. And that, that was my view of it. But as far as drinking goes, for me, like I can drink whenever, but I don't, I don't get drunk. Right. So it's like, I'll stop drinking and, or I'll have one or two. So I've been able to, to do that. But the, the thing with me is I'm more stable mentally now than I was oh, yeah. uh, before. And finding that, you know, along the way, I think when I broke my leg in 2013, actually gave me that freedom and gave me the understanding that no matter what happens in football, I'm going to be okay. Right. And once I, oh, yeah. once that clicked, it was like so freeing. Like I tell people now I had more fun from 2014 through 2017 than I did 2013 or 2004 to 2013. I had more fun. I mean, your mindset just, changed. Yeah. Just mindset. I was out there having fun during games. I didn't, you know, totally different feel. And now you have the recovery hour. Yeah. You tell people about the recovery hour. Well, it's similar to our, uh, the Rod Peterson show in that it airs on Facebook live, but we, you've met Paul, the patriarch of what we do. (laughs) We say he's building PSPN, Paul sports network. There are all these various shows coming out of our studios and his wife, Lori, had a dream of doing a recovery show and they thought who better to host it than Rod. So we have a, we have a, I guess, addiction counselor that co-hosts it with me. And and it's cool, Nick, because it's only once a month for an hour and people write in live with their questions and comments with what they're struggling with. Like it's mind blowing. And I think in 2020 that you can do that. You can counsel people in real time. And there's some heavy, heavy stuff coming in there. Heavy. You know, and that's the other thing I realized, like the last few years with the riders, I, we were going different ways, you know, before the end anyways. I just realized the rush that I get from having somebody's life in my hands is, I never felt anything like it. I mean, yeah. it's cool to be in a great cup and stuff and all that vibe. That's not that noble. Anybody can do this in terms of being the broadcaster. Not the recovery is such specialized work. Seeing it is the, it's the point of coaching too. You, when you point somebody in the right direction that's struggling and they grasp it and they achieve it, you know yourself as a coach. There's no better feeling. There's yeah. no better feeling. Just to, just to pour into people and see them get better and do better, I think it's the ultimate goal, right? I tell myself yeah. all the time, like, I had to go through it to get to here, Right. How do you it feel about that when you look back at all of it and you, you think back, I know you don't like thinking back of it, but like just when you think about just everything that you've gone through and just to get to here and the difference you're making, the impact you're making, how do you feel now? Well, <laughs> I can't believe how easy life is. That's one. People are saying to me all the time, you're so busy. You're here. You're there. I'm like, uh, that must just be social media. I'm not that busy. Like you said, when are you available? Whenever you want, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's the freedom. When you say, I don't like talking about it. And I said that I don't 
like even thinking about it, but I think about it every day. Right. And I go back and say, I wouldn't change anything. You know, the feeling. Yep. I needed that. I needed that edge. Like I, I still remember t- 2011, April, 2011, me and my ex fiance split up. So it's right before the season. We were together five and a half, six years. I'm going into the season. I'm a mess. And at the end of the year, that year, I remember, you know, you have your team wrap-up dinner. Well, Pika stands stands up in front of the teams and all the girlfriends and everybody and says, uh, he talks about his group, and he goes, I still don't understand how Nick showed up every day smelling like a bottle of Crown. And, I mean, they could just tell. Chris Sweet would come up to me. He'd put his arms around me and just be like, are you okay? You can come talk to me. All these different things. But, I mean, I was fine. I didn't have a drop-off on the field. I had another 1,200-yard season. It was everything on the field was fine. Everything at practice was fine. I never missed a practice. I never made an excuse. But then between practice and games, it was hell on wheels, right? We were – and it was um, it was probably really reckless, you know, when you look back at it. Yeah, but the, that's, that's the – it made life really hard. Yeah. You know, it's like I've got a mentor, uh, Gord is his name, and he's kind of been mentoring me through life. And he's like really early on in recovery. Like I was telling you how stressed I was. You don't understand. I have to drink because I have so much stress in my life. And he's like, are you a soldier in the sands of Afghanistan with only a ham sandwich in his pocket to last him for 24 hours being shot at? Is it that stressful? Like he just slapped me out of it, right? It's not that stressful. It's all perspective. But we all think that we're so stressed and we, you know, and I was causing all of my own problems. And when the days came that I kind of just looked in the mirror and said, whoa, I'm the cause of all of this. I'm at fault. It blows people's minds now when you're in a conflict and just say, whoa, I'm, I'm, my bad. I'm sorry. You know what I mean? Like, nobody's used to that. Yep. When you recognize your own role in a conflict, all the, like, which is what I'm conditioned to do now, your life gets a lot easier. So... You know, we went to Southern California on a sports trip. I hosted 60 people. And I'm like, a one-week trip now seemed like two weeks because we weren't searching out bars to be sitting at and be chained at the bar all day drinking. And, you know, and then all the problems that came with it. It was like, we're renting a car. We're driving all over the coast. It's the greatest feeling in the world. And, and people that come into recovery now, they're like, early recovery, they're like, don't you miss drinking? And I'm like, what is there to miss? You know, spending all your money, making an ass out of yourself, ruining your relationships for what? Why? You know, but it's, they are exactly where I was. So I get the question. I don't, I don't scoff at them. I don't look down at them, but I'm like, you need to change how you're looking at it. Right? So when people say now, do you miss drinking? I'm like, I don't even think about it. that part. I don't think about not interested. When yeah. I look what it did to me, Nick, why would you go back? The common denominator, everything that happens to you is you. Yeah. Right. Most people don't get that, right? Most people don't get it. They think everybody else is the reason why they're having a bad day or they're late or they're this or they're that. They're not successful. But you're the common denominator. I swear, anybody watching this right now, if this is like dawning on them, this is the first time they've heard that, it'll be a light bulb moment for them. And most people don't want to look at themselves. Most people don't want to look in the mirror. Yeah. But the second you take a really good hard look 
and realize, you know, all the choices you've made in your life have got you to exactly where you are right now. And your future choices going ahead can just can create a great life. There is no looking back. Yeah. You know, I've always looked at life was how can I be the best athlete? But I didn't do everything, like I said, off the field to be a better athlete. And Mark Wade McDaniel actually asked me at the end of our podcast together, um, do you think if you weren't Nick Lewis, you would have been better? Meaning, do you think if you didn't do drink all that, you know, drink until six in the morning, partying, and then, you know, hours sleep and going to practice, you know, doing those things on a regular basis, do you think if you didn't live that lifestyle, you would have been better? And I said, honestly, I don't. I think that that's what motivated me. And that's what allowed me oh, yeah. to, to do Playing it, guilty. Right? Playing <laughs> guilty is a thing. <laughs> we I used know. to say in 2010, we'd say, if you don't ball, you got to go to rehab. Like, that was literally a thing in the locker room in Calgary in 2010. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Hold me. You still there? Still there? Yeah, 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 I'm yeah here. My brothers, but there's a lot of hockey players that I've dealt with, and I don't want to – I'm not going to name them, but, like, retired guys that might not have been as good if they weren't out till 6 in the morning the night before. Listen, Joe Namath is a well-known story. You've heard yeah. – like, he might not have been the same guy if he wasn't Broadway Joe. Yep. So, you know, and that, you know, we could go down the concussion alley with Matt Dunnigan's warning young quarterbacks and stuff about concussions. And I literally pulled him aside and I said, would you change one thing, Matt? One thing? Nope. You got to go through it. That's it. Looking back, man, you just, I just think that more people are going to know who you are with this. That I appreciate the recovery hour and, that know you for these things. And like I said, getting to know you over the last um, few months has been great. You know, you're a man of your word. Been. You're honest. You're, you just call it like you see it. You're just like, you know, a lot like me. And just think, thinking now, hearing your story, we have so many similarities. Oh, yeah. Well, I like to think we're both winners. I can't wait until the day comes when you go in the Hall of Fame because it's going to happen. Um, yeah, I, I, I'll be so happy for you. And I'm happy that you gave me the opportunity to tell my story here. Maybe people in Calgary will understand a little more where I'm coming from. But honesty saves time, Nick. It saves yeah. time. I'm just cutting right to the heart of the matter here on all this stuff. And I, I would like to say, I guess, if they put it in my tombstone, if you knew him, you'd love him. Or he was misunderstood. You know, yeah. I think that goes for a lot of guys. But I also, you know this, we connect. We seem to find each other in life somewhere down the line. Like I say, Duran and I, after a five minute conversation, we're like that. Yep. And I hated the guy before I met him, you know, so you can go real far, real fast. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing is, and that's how life is, man, is I was, I was just listening on this business call and he talks about like, you're connected to your decisions and your decisions will lead you to people and lead you to things. Right. If you're constantly making these certain decisions, you're going to hang around these certain type of people. Right. So the power that you have is your decisions and the ability to understand everything that it encompasses. Right. My circles have totally changed from 10 years ago. Right. And it's, and it's okay. I still keep in touch with those people. We just don't hang out at the same capacity anymore. Doesn't mean I'm not friends with them. It just means that, my life has to move in a different direction because as long as I hold on to that, I'll stay there. 
and I can't move forward. You know, and just going through your story and just listening to you talk about it, the ability for you to allow to release the things in your life to truly better yourself and better your life. And now the impact that you're going to make in so many other people's lives is, is truly a powerful thing. I think that's awesome. Thank you. I appreciate you uh, giving me the chance to get off my chest, I guess. Um, Yeah. It's just helping other people is, uh, is what my passion is now. It's honestly not, sports casting I mean, I enjoy that, but I get out of the bed in the morning to help people. And I'll tell you what, you talk about 10 years ago. It's the last thing on my mind, Nick, the last thing on my <laughs> mind it was what can I get out of this? Right. What's in it for me. And it's not that way anymore. And I can see the same thing with you. And I respect those old friends of mine. They're still friends of mine. Yeah. They get it. Then they will be back waiting for me. If I ever wanted to go back to that, <laughs> but they know I'm like, and I say, you guys aren't the problem. I am. You know, so yeah, I say thanks. And, and I can't wait to work with you on all these various things we got going on. It's, yeah. it's awesome. It's great. It's great to, when you connect with somebody that's kind of the like-minded path, it's a good feeling. When you feel like you're fighting the whole world all the time, it's nice to connect with somebody. <laughs> that's it. Right? Any, how would you want to leave people, right? If, like you said earlier, if somebody's listening to this right now that's struggling with something, what could you say right now that could lead them to just the understanding that it is worth it and they are worth it? Well, the one message I have is that it's, it's never too late. It's never too late. Don't give up on yourself. And I will honestly say this, DM me, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I don't care. We'll keep it private. Start with me and I'll get you down the right road. But to sit and think nobody cares is a fallacy. You're wrong. Somebody cares, I guarantee you. All you need is one person in your corner can change your life around and I'll be that person for anybody that's watching right now. Start with me. Because I got a network of people all across North America, Nick, that I can get in touch with. You don't have, like I've been in their shoes. You don't have to live that way. There's a better life and there's a road out. Mm-hmm. And I was just very lucky to find it. Very very lucky to find it. Start with me. That's all. That's what I tell people. That was your path, brother. That was your path to get to where you are now. And it takes someone so strong to be able to be there for other people, right? You had to harden yourself and go through it to, to allow yourself to truly immerse yourself in what you're doing now. Um, I can say this. I haven't known you long, but I'm proud of you. And I'm, Thanks, and I'm, I'm proud to know you. And I thank you for coming on the Lulu Logic podcast. And I'll let you leave it off with, how people can get a hold of you and um, the Rod Peterson, tell them how to spell your name correctly. <laughs> we really scared that intern, eh? You know that. Uh, just, hey, P-E-D-E-R-S-E-N. So you can follow me for my recovery company at Peterson Recovery or at Rod Peterson for the sports. Either way, you'll get a message to me. And uh, yeah, I appreciate it. I'm very grateful you came into my life, Nick. Whoever would have thought we'd have a chat like this. And I'm, like I said, you got the keys to our kingdom, anything you want to help promote what you're doing, because I'm a big fan. Thank you. Thank you. This has been another episode of the Lulu Logic Podcast. We out.